0: We have four days left and all of a sudden there's a laptop. There's overwhelming evidence that from the intelligence community that the Russians are engaged.
1: Fifty former
2: national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan.
3: Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives.
2: Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate.
3: A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of... Canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front. Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race
2: for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children.
4: Welcome to the Ruthless Variety Program. That was your President Joe Biden. I think resuscitating what can only now be described as complete nonsense about what Hunter Biden's laptop
5: represented but what a disaster that whole thing has ended up to be huh yeah i mean it's it follows a uh, a pretty regular pattern our politics now which is like anything that is a conspiracy theory 6 months ago becomes true right? <laughs> yeah, right you know um so i mean look you love to see it uh hunter biden's laptop being real um you know i don't think it'll change anything i don't think anybody who lied and called it Russian dis- disinformation. Hey, you don't um, think
4: we're going to get some apologies?
5: I don't think we're going to get any. It's I, I weird.
6: To me, that was the biggest takeaway from that day is when news broke about this is you did not see any any moment of reflection. Nope. Or apology uh, regret or apology from any of the journals, or because they know the weight of what they did. Yeah. By the definition they set, this was election interference. Totally. By what they set, it was... Uh, a coordination between big tech. The fact that Twitter locked up the New York Post account—that's a newspaper that was started, but <clears throat> uh, uh, by Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton started the New York Post—and they shut that newspaper down. They blocked it from Twitter for putting out the truth. Yeah. And then you had you had all these uh, uh, you had Clapper oh, on yeah. TV, all all saying so this much is credibility. The, this and, and and they they carefully worded their ways. Those weasels. They're like this bears the hallmarks hallmarks. of Russian disinformation and you hear all like number one the reports we're seeing now all the Russia conspiracy theory stuff was made up garbage all that with Trump was garbage but the American public was conditioned for years to being told that their president is a Russian asset and then they carry it further they're like oh we're worried that they're going to hack the election again when they didn't hack the election in the first place Um, and they silence Anyone who tries to put out this 100% legit bit of information and the, the the repercussions of it, because this is basically the dealings of the Biden family.
4: Totally. It's completely It's not just ridiculous.
6: about Hunter. So when Libs are like, oh, well, Hunter's not running for president, is he? Well, that's the whole problem. What's 10% yeah. to the big guy about?
4: There's a lot more smoke where there is and actually fire uh, that we'll get into later on the program. But first off, it's a big program. We've got uh, guests Monica De La Cruz and Myra Flores. Who are two nominee republican nominees hispanic republican nominees in south texas for congress that are incredibly inspiring and they represent a huge amount of change that's happening in, in our politics across this country where hispanics are changing affiliation uh, party affiliation like crazy they're voting like crazy for republicans they are an interesting interview these women are incredible i can't wait to have them on um and then we got some, we got a bunch of other stuff to talk about here.
6: A ton. It's it's a big it's a big program.
4: It's a big program. Uh, should we start with our our uh, sponsor? Yeah, sponsor today is Masterworks. That's exactly right, Michael. Masterworks. You've heard them twice before on the program. Good friends of the program. Because
6: they're friends of the program.
4: They are they are friends of the program. And recall what they are is they they're they invest in fine art. Right? But So for those of us like me, for example, it's this like Midwestern dude, I've always thought of fine art as being sort of something that like the elite coastal effete kind of invest in, right? That's not something that like is a luxury that I'm interested in getting into in large part because I can't afford it, but also just, I mean, you know, you're hanging stuff on your wall just to hang like that. That's a kind of expenditure that most of us don't have the luxury of doing, but they look at it from an entirely different standpoint, Right. They look at it as an investment that is not that does not have access to lower classes, middle, lower class of, of this country. And what they've done is sort of group together people where you can make investments in fine art that actually overperform almost every other asset you can come up with. Right. So it's like there's been a lot of talk over the years about, you know, what it takes to get in the stock market and mm-hmm. how you get, you know, sort of a 401 401- Ks and all all the the stuff that you have for your basic retirement you get through your job hopefully you know that's like your entryway into the investment class of this country. Well, other things outperform that, and it turns out like fine art is one of those. Did you guys know that? I, I had no idea you,
0: before. You're, you're talking about real art here. I, this is not Hunter Biden painting a smiley face. <laughs> right. This is not still
5: life crack paraphernalia. <laughs> this is this is real art. It's, yeah, they got got Andy Warhol on here. Uh, Claude Monet. I love impressionists. Wow.
4: Yeah, they, I mean, they have. Look, I I don't know anything about art, but what I do know is that the blue chip art has outpaced the S&P 500. Right. Yeah. For like 15 years. So
6: this should not be taken as uh, investment advice from me. You should speak to, you know, your registered investment advisor. I like that. I like thing. that disclaimer. But I think it's really interesting. I mean, it's a it's a huge deal and it's a great idea because you see that as an asset class, it's outperformed especially lately. The S&P uh, the Dow, typically they tell you, you know, you put your money in indexes and you just wait and I mean, what? We, the indexes have lost 10-12% year to date. That's not looking too hot. And then they had, a, I think it was a Basquiat that uh, they, they they allowed people to invest in. You know, you get your little slice of that. And then like a year later, they sold and everyone got 30% return. So, I mean, yeah, right. that so, sounds pretty good to me. I mean, that
4: that's kind of the thing here. So, if you think art is for rich people, go ch- check out Masterworks.
5: Right. In the era of like Bitcoin and NFTs and all these alternative investment things that you can do, that's worth a shot. It's yeah. worth a shot. And it's actually. I mean, you can hold
6: a Banks. You know what I mean? Like the Banksy is real. That's like what my o- I feel like. My, own, own, yeah.
5: my sure. only alternative investment is like betting $25 on March Madness. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, There's got to be a better investment. It <laughs> hasn't been going great. Which, pal, how was your weekend on that, by the way? Uh, Big Ten uh, didn't do so hot. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty rough because I was ride or die, as I always am ride or die. Yeah, you're a Big Ten Yeah. And guy. Su- Sunday was very rough. I mean, it, it, basically everybody other than. Except Purdue. Purdue, yeah. right? I mean it was nuts. I did a five game parlay. Um I appreciate the gods of basketball giving me like a quick death in literally the first <laughs> game. But I lost. You know, actually, calculate it. if I just would have submitted the opposite parlay ticket, I would have won. Oh, a lot. Everything in my parlay lost.
4: Well, that's why at the end of the night I asked you what your picks were and then I picked the exact opposite and then I lost.
5: And then but, you <laughs> lost. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was brutal. <laughs> but, it was brutal. So this For is all- a better investment strategy than that. Listen, yeah.
0: buddy. For all the disappointment that you faced with March Madness, the Indianapolis Colts made up for it in their quarterback acquisition. That's
5: right, Matt Ryan. Very excited. Yeah. Well, we got
4: some quarterback situations solved, and some still an open question. But I will say, just to wrap this up on Masterworks, they're giving ruthless listeners priority access.
6: Yeah, you don't. Uh, I, I looked at this. You don't have to be in the wait list. They'll oh let, hell yeah! They'll let people who use this URL. Like, if you just go to Masterworks, you don't get. Uh, to skip the waitlist. But if you go to masterworks.art slash ruthless,
4: you skip the waitlist. Yeah, you get right into it. Yeah, so. So so check it out. It's an investment idea. Uh, you know, maybe not for everybody, but I, I'm certainly going to check it out because it, their earnings on some of this stuff is no joke. Yeah. No joke.
6: They've been doing pretty good.
4: Um, Smug, would you like to give us a little update on the Hack Madness situation?
6: I would love to. And y- you know who, who should give us this update? It's Joy Brackets. We should have Ashbrook. You, you got this article uh, from Fox News that you put in our doc for today. It's amazing, folks. The this voting, guy is the a voting, poet. the voting has been outdoing any other of our copycat uh, uh, March Madness brackets. Like I know the Lincoln Project tried to copy us yeah we're getting more votes than they are and they've got god knows how much
0: in lib money and, and, and how many followers online we're still beating them yeah so joey brackets is covering this thing start to finish the headline of his story this morning jeffrey Tubin handily beats jeff zucker beautiful beats chris cuomo sends jimmy kimmel packing in round one of hack madness <laughs> and it's just another another example of just grade-A coverage from Fox News and Joey Brackets. Uh, nobody is taking this uh, tournament more seriously or offering better, uh, better coverage
5: start to finish. He is the Bracketologist. He is. The official. The ultimate official Brack- Bracketologist of Hackman. And I didn't even realize we've already had over 158,000 votes in this thing.
4: And I, I also
6: want to give uh, Joey credit for this line in the article. It says... While the CNN primetime anchor is the favorite, spectators should not underestimate Tubin's ability to pull it out in the end. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. that's yeah. right. I mean, this right. guy's <laughs> an artist.
0: He did. He gave special attention to this victory um, over Tubin's victory over Zucker. You know, he wrote which a, I was
4: disappointed about. I felt was, like the knocking on the pipes should have gotten him through round one. I, I had Zucker.
0: Yeah, I had Zucker in my final four. But but as as Joey Brackets uh, said, uh, he surprised fans across Twitter. It was Tubin who came ahead of Zucker, oh, handily God. beating his former boss. <laughs>
4: Whew,
0: so handily
4: beating.
6: And, you know, m- m- my favorite part of any article is-, is the comment section. And, you know, folks at home, I highly encourage you to go down there. <laughs> We're up to 333 comments, and every single one of them is solid gold. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the comment section.
4: Well, hats off to Joey Brackets and all the good work at Fox News of covering this year's Hack Madness. It is certainly an event that is unlike any other. It's a tradition unlike any other.
6: And if if you're listening to this uh, on Tuesday, voting for the second round is underway. Uh, Check out the Ruthless Twitter account. Uh, Check out my account and vote, folks.
4: Vote, vote, vote. Uh, Should we do some five stars, fellas? Absolutely. Uh, All right. So, Smug, you want to take the first
6: one? Sure. So first one is from uh it looks like sweet h-e-a-n sweden i don't know uh truth and wit says i enjoy their intellect with the flavor of humor and their infectious laughter the podcast is a blessing to my ears Ah, i love that try to be
5: i love that uh dunks you got another one here yeah sure uh this is from kb 1130 title is the fellas plus hank the tank have stolen my heart I discovered y'all a few weeks ago and you've quickly become my absolutely absolute favorite podcast for news. I love that you tackle the biggest topics of the day while absolutely cracking me up. It feels like laughing while Rome burns as you discuss the downfall of our wonderful country, but at least I'm in good company. It never fails when the three of you are joking about Biden's latest f- fail or Kamala's most recent attempt to give a speech, I wind up laughing right along with you. In fact, I was just listening to an older episode while grocery shopping, and and I got the strangest looks because I was literally laughing out loud while bagging oranges (laughs) (laughs) at your hard-hitting Pulitzer Prize-worthy Hank the Tank coverage. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's our bread and butter. Uh, It was so hilarious I didn't even care that everyone else in the produce section thought I was insane and doing my best Kamala cackle at the oranges. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps they just assumed the sky-high prices for groceries has driven me completely mad. They'd be right. Anyway, keep up the, ama- the amazing work. I love it's it. It's a nice one. That yeah. is a nice yeah, one.
4: one. So this is from Obriza. Hilarious and sharp podcast. I also discovered Ruthless is a Megan Kelly listener. Oh, she's such a good friend of the yeah, program. Yeah, totally. You know? I was hooked uh, I was hurt when I heard knock three times. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that was some yeah. of our best work. Uh, I couldn't stop laughing. I also learned from the host and excellent guests. Thank you for a, such a funny and sharp podcast. Nice. Excellent. We love the, the five stars. We love the five stars. So let's start off with this. We also have a, a fun in-studio guest here, friend of the program, Foldy. Uh, Foldy, you've written a very important piece of journalism lately. Would you care to describe it for our listeners?
1: Jen, it's great to be back on the program. Look, millions of Americans currently have senators and members of Congress whose offices are closed. They're taxpayer-funded, prime real estate, right on Capitol Hill. Their offices are closed. And this struck me as insane. So I went to Capitol Hill. I don't even have a press credential to do this. I had to be escorted into the buildings. um, And I walked over 10 miles in cowboy boots, just taking pictures of closed House and Senate Democrats' offices, uh, so that now people can know that what their representatives are or are not doing in government.
4: So let me get this straight. These offices that you visited are closed because of the pandemic?
1: Yes. The Senate Health Committee, for example, is one of those that's closed. Get out of here. It is closed to prevent not the spread of coronavirus, to prevent the spread of germs. And, it, you know, you would think that people who work for a health committee would know that some germs are actually good. And you also can't prevent the spread of all germs. The Senate, and, and that's uh, chaired by Patty Murray, who's up for re-election re-election yeah. uh, in Washington State. Her office as well is closed on Mondays and Fridays. They're only in three days a week. Gary Peters, or Jerry Peters as he's known from Michigan, uh, who chairs the Senate Democrats Committee, uh, campaign committee, he also chairs the Homeland Security Committee. And there are a lot of threats to the homeland right now, right? Well, they're also remote.
4: Wait, wait, wait. wait. So their offices, it's one thing to say, like, they're closed. I mean, you mean literally closed? Like it's it's, the door is locked on their office, their congressional offices?
1: Straight up locked. No. Yeah. Some of them will even say, um, you know, for example, on the House side, David Trone runs Total Wine. I went up to his uh, office door that was closed. There's no sign indicating that it's closed, locked. And he was making a killing from Total Wine on St. Patrick's Day, but his taxpayer-funded office, for example, yeah, they, completely if, closed.
5: Isn't that interesting? I'm sure his employees at Total Wine had to show up to work. Amazing. I'm sure you had to show up to work. All the constituents of these Democrats had to show up to work. But, like, for these Democrats, their official office, it's like they're taking a gap year, like on college, you know? Just going to take the year off.
4: I mean, but, but without justification, I cannot believe that nobody has reported on this. You actually broke the story... That these Democrats, both in the House and the Senate, who operate major committees, some of up up for prominent
5: reelection, and represent millions of people,
4: represents yep. millions of people, they have basically decided that sometimes, like it must be closed for years. If this is a, this is a COVID nineteen deal,
1: yeah. Look, this is from Bernie Sanders' office. It says, in order to prevent the spread of germs and bacteria, Senator Sanders' front office is closed to the public. Get door out of here. door closed. And obviously, every member of the House is up for re-election every year. But senators who are up for re-election this year also have their offices closed. Chuck Schumer.
6: Their staff, everyone is still
5: drawing a salary?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Chuck Schumer's Taxpayers office, are still paying for all yes, this. Yes, absolutely. They're paying for the office space. They're paying for the salaries. You have
5: to show up to work so that they can tax you to pay for these people to not show up to work. But get a little bit That's of wild.
1: We asked Chuck Schumer why his office was closed. And then the next day, they sent a staff assistant in. And she put a little post-it note on the closed door and says, I'll be back in 45 minutes. But when I was there taking pictures in the middle of the day, his office was closed. And obviously, he's up for re-election this year, maybe facing AOC in a primary at some point. But Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, she's up for re-election this you got to be kidding me. Her, so, so, her so. office is closed, and it says, literally, doors closed, and it says, cleaning not
5: required. <laughs>
4: Wow. <laughs> so it's not, it, they've just never been there.
5: Like not showing up. No, not coming. Not, not even a like, little bit of foot traffic. And not even anytime soon. Don't vacuum. No need. Unreal.
4: This at, is somebody who represents the hospitality industry across a strip right. in Nevada, which is the lifeblood of the economy. Yeah, those people can't work on Zoom. No, and, and she is is got her office closed. I mean, what's the explanation for this?
1: L- look at this from the Senate Democrats Policy Committee. Oh this, is, my, this is the gosh, craziest. We're
4: looking at a picture that looks like... It looks it, like the, a hoarder. Are it, those bundled mail pieces yes. that they just haven't opened? Right, this is
1: months and months of newspapers piled up. You could build a castle with this from the Party of the Environment. They have an entire forest of newspapers <laughs> just shoved in this locked door. Whose office the clo- is this? This is the office of the Senate Democratic Policy Committee. Their policy committee is closed.
4: Yeah, well, they have no real policy.
6: If yeah. that
1: makes sense. well, I mean, it,
4: it, it wouldn't make a difference if they were there or not. But it's nice of them to show some kind of. An I'm effort.
6: torn because it's like you know the less we have of these idiots working, but like at the same time, this is their whole plan. This is what they've been after for the longest time. Is that everyone sit at home, wait for your check?
5: What I think is wild here is that Foldy has has exposed something we frequently talked about on the program, and that is like you know there are too many people in the journalism industry that just choose not... They shape the news by choosing not to cover things. Yeah. We talk about it a lot on the program. Folding... You don't even have press credentials, you were saying? Correct. There are, like, hundreds of reporters who are walking these hallways walk every week. This and walk past this nonsense? Walk past this shit. And, and no one said a word about it. Nobody said anything about this. That's They're not a,
6: chasing anyone down in an elevator to ask any questions about this.
5: Right. Like, I, what I want to know is, are there Democrats in the hearing right now, the Supreme Court hearing. Who don't have an open office in there on Capitol Hill. Well, well, that's a good
6: question. Well, all yes. of them, like, uh, let's look at... Uh, like,
5: they're just in town to do a couple fundraisers in a hearing, and but constituents can't get anything done.
6: That's something. So, so who on who on Judiciary? So, we got, uh, number one, Crazy White House is on there. White was Club. His office? I think it's pronounced White, White Club. Yeah, that's right. Um, is is White it, House was, closed?
1: Yes, White House Amazing. has a sign Amazing. saying it's, his office is closed.
0: Amazing. What about, Alec? What about Alex Padilla?
1: Alex Padilla is not only closed, his lights are not even on. <laughs> so the,
0: he, the, now, just for listeners who may not be familiar with Alex Padilla, he replaced uh, our vice president, Kamala Harris, in the Senate. The lights haven't been on in that office for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> but interesting that he remains closed.
4: Honestly, closed is probably better than what we've got out of the vice president's office, to be honest with you.
0: That's right. Uh, here's another. Is Chris Van Hollen, he's up for re-election, open or
1: closed? Closed right when you walk into Hart Senate office building. First floor, closed. And it says, it says there is a closed sign on his office. Maggie Hassan, up for re-election. Open or closed? Closed.
4: No! Are you serious? She's endangered as hell. She hasn't even opened the damn thing? I mean, here's the thing that I can't. If you, you come to Washington, right? And I guess you're, you know, you're a lib. You've got all kinds of different views. But I think most part. Young people that come to Washington, they want like the experience of working in a congressional office and kind of getting the ins and outs of Washington, whether they're there for two years or 20 years. They're just at the beginning of their careers, excited to be a part of it. These lawmakers are not only depriving their constituents, their taxpayer dollar constituents of an office, but they're telling all these people they have to work from home. What the hell do you do if you're a staff assistant that doesn't go to work? Like sort your own mail? I mean, honestly,
5: I I, I don't. understand it right like how 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 are they dealing with constituent phone calls what yeah how does that work
0: how
4: does that work how
5: do you talk to your congressman it's it's a great question
0: and it doesn't it's not only limited to the senators uh there's a woman from
1: the house who hasn't been there for a while right what about this woman frederica wilson So I previously reported a story about how House Democrats have been abusing the proxy voting system to travel the country, to go to campaign fundraisers, to fly with President Biden on Air Force One. Now, when you submit a proxy voting request, you have to say why you need a proxy voter. And all of these Democrats said, due to the spread of coronavirus, I'm, you know, in fear for my life. I can't show up to work (laughs) now. So my colleague Haley and I pulled their FEC spending to show their spending on lavish hotels. Yeah. We pulled up just their public posts where they would say, for example, a bunch of Georgia Democrats joined Biden in Atlanta for MLK Day yeah. as they were saying we can't appear in person to vote. So, Frederica Wilson, a congresswoman from Florida, we we learned in this she did not vote in person a single time in all of 2021. She had hundreds what? of proxy votes. <laughs> literally did not vote one time. Her office closed and I, I, I looked in and she had moving boxes in there, so I don't know if she's, you know, going to be the latest House Democrat to call it quits because she literally does not do her job. But yeah, she did not vote one time last year.
4: This is one of the most remarkable stories I've heard in a long that, time. That just that's mind blowing. That's I mean, mind blowing. I, I, I remember you literally had one job. <laughs> yes. Just go there and vote for us. Just go and show up. You know, like I remember back, so I'm old enough to to remember the post 9/11 days, and there was a lot of initial fear on Capitol Hill, not just after the 9/11 attacks, but remember there was there was the big, uh, what was the the envelopes full of white powder yeah, and yeah. The, uh, a bunch of like different threats to Capitol Anthrax, Hill. the anthrax, yeah, anthrax stuff, and so so there were many offices that were taking sort of a circumspect approach about what employees they would allow in and until they figured this the whole thing out, and Ultimately, everybody sort of by mid fall of of 2001 was like, you know what? Look, it's an important message to send the country that we're going to be here for business and we're going to be doing what we're going to be doing, regardless of the threat against us or our staff. It sends an important message to our constituents. And I remember there was Mark Dayton was a senator from Minnesota, and I think he was the last person who just didn't reopen. Right. It was just like classic Lib, like, no, we're in fear. We're just not and it was basically the end of his federal career. He became governor after that, but it was it was there was so much political fallout from that, from not showing up to work that it made a big difference. This seems to me much worse because we're talking about a couple year timeline yeah. to deal I with mean, the it's, pandemic. It's unbelievable. And, it's an outrage. And these people actually are 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 they did anybody respond to you? Or has anybody said like Yes, it makes sense for us not to come to work.
1: So Sean Patrick Maloney, who chairs the House Democrats campaign committee, responded to us. We said, hey, you know, we noticed that there's mail piled up outside your office. (laughs) You know, uh, we assume that you're closed. They said, no, we are in person. And we asked, you know, can we get some specifics on your in-person policy? Because I took a picture at 2.59 p.m. when I was walking there. And there was, you know, at least a day's worth of mail piled up in front of his front office door that was closed. (laughs) So, you know, they say that they're open. I took a picture of them having a closed office with mail piled in front of it. So if their staff just walks by closed mail, maybe they do that. I'm not sure. No one defended being closed to us. We asked everyone we put in our article. We reached out to their offices and said, you know, why are you closed right now? Especially because, remember, Biden said it's safe to come back during the State of the Union, right? And you saw these Democrats in Congress applauding, basically none of them wearing masks, standing Mm -hmm. shoulder to shoulder, you know, no social distancing, um, because the science changed right before the State of the Union. But Biden said 75% of the federal workforce is back in person. I'm not even sure that is true, but it's definitely not true with Democrats on Capitol Hill. So none of them defended this policy to us. Some of them denied that it was happening. And I think that some of them are starting to send some junior staff in, so that they can have people sitting. Collect the mail, for God's sake! Collect the mail. Otherwise, it's so clear that they're not showing up.
4: Incredible. Well, listen, Foldy, I can't thank you enough. Once again, groundbreak
1: groundbreaking journalism. He's doing
4: real
5: journalism.
6: Yeah. You know the industry is so dead and bad that you gotta send Foldy to get the job done. (laughs)
5: Outstanding I work, love man! The, the classic smug backhanded compliment. No, but I mean it's outstanding. I, I say Pulitzer for Foldy.
4: <laughs> Pulitzer <laughs> for Foldy once again. Let's nominate him.
1: Great I'll work. It no. in they, they,
6: they won't give this guy a press credential, <laughs> and Twitter won't let him have his blue check. It's an outrage,
1: folks.
4: He's the he's he's the last living journalist.
6: I outstanding work.
1: Thanks, John. I love it.
4: Thank you, Foldy. Once again, all right. So let's get into the topic that we led with, which is this ridiculous Hunter Biden story. Uh, the New York Times confirmed. That Hunter, the, the, if you recall, the laptop story that the New York Post and other outlets broke at the end of the 2020 election, they they confirmed that it was now true. And that a deep dive into the Hunter Biden investigation, including the emails released in late 2020 and characterized as possible Russian disinformation, were indeed authentic. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm. I mean,
6: it's it's so damning especially in light of current events that they're they're willing to put out this oh russia's behind this right and they demand total belief from the public if if you try to disagree with these people they were handing out twitter bans for anyone who was discussing this yeah you know they shut down the new york post for discussing this right so at a time when 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 now we have this global conflict between russia and ukraine and you think about how well how, how the hell do I know who to believe on any of this when the press is is so willing to interfere in an election and say well this is Russian disinformation this this whole Hunter Biden thing is is absolutely Russian disinformation there's no credibility left in the media
4: none, none. and they lean they leaned on the intelligence community the former Intel we've done yep. a lot of talking about this on the program yep. but the former Intel officials, have made up more of a basis for complete disinformation than any group of people that I've ever recalled it is in unreal. American politics. Unreal. It's just so. So like, recall, Politico printed this story where Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo. Dozens of former intel officials say, right, and then they published a letter. Of more than fifty former intelligence officials, a lot of household names in there, by the way. Brennan, Hayden, yep. Clapper, Leon Panetta,
6: yep. all did, them signed.
5: Didn't Clapper literally lied before Congress. Yes, he did. Yes, L- lied before Congress, and, and he's the person we're supposed to trust his credibility. The guy goes on CNN and lied about Russian disinformation for four years.
6: That's the thing. It's like they got fifty people to sign this letter; they should be named. Name and shame these idiots who, who, are, who are lying to the public saying right. this is Russian disinformation. Well, I mean, we've
4: got their names. The right. problem is there's no recourse. Nobody's going back. I, I would think that as a journalist, and it would be interesting to get Foldy's perspective on this, but as a journalist, when somebody goes on the record and says, no, what you're looking at has all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation, knowing the four-year campaign that they ran about Russia hoax bullshit yep. that just basically was never true. And then a year and a half later it comes out that all of that shit was false. Don't you feel like an asshole? Like well, don't they, do they, you not feel Do they have no shame?
0: They but, should. They they absolutely should. And I mean obviously a lot of the blame is on these 50 Intel officers, but would it kill politico to just write a story that says we were wrong. We believe the wrong people. This is this was actually not the case, what we wrote? I mean to be honest with you, I'm not sure it would actually do anything to improve their credibility with the uh, with the majority of voters who are out there consuming this information. But at a minimum, a little humility is
5: in order. Well, and there has to be a way to depoliticize our intelligence agencies. Like, I mean, this is really unhealthy for our democracy. It is extremely like, like this is dangerous. And I talked about it a little bit. Remember when we did the interview, Holmes with Cash Patel? Yeah, and I was like, you know how we have like a lobbyist ban for former members. Like, yeah. You know, for two years, three years. Well, I don't know. I can't remember exactly what it is, but like you're not allowed to register as a lobbyist. And that is like there needs to be some distance between you, the official work you did in the halls of Congress and trying to influence yeah. the halls of Congress. Yep. I think the exact same thing should ap- apply to senior intelligence officials. Well, p- like being able like, to go on CNN, I, somebody who has a security clearance, go on CNN, somebody who's not currently employed by the federal government and and give their opinion on intelligence is, I think, a thing that undermines the credibility of our intelligence agencies and our media. Look, I I think I would go one step further. I think that if you're
0: donating to Democrats, maybe journalism isn't the job for you. (laughs) I, 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 I grant you that freedom of speech allows you to donate to whichever candidates you want, allows you to vote for whichever candidates you want. But what does it say when all, all of these journalists and these legacy media outlets are donating to and voting for Democrats? It really, really hurts their credibility. People want information. They want to be able to rely on what they're reading, and they're not sure they can.
4: But, but Back to the intel part of this, though. What I found in, in my early stages of, of doing cable news is that the intel people, because they were surrounded by so much that was classified, Right. And there's so little that they can actually talk about with absolute candor because, frankly, they're entrusted with our nation's secrets. They can get away with an incredible right, right. Yeah, amount point. of innuendo yeah. without ever right. providing any factual right. basis for the conclusions that they come to. Right. This right. Is a Great point. Right. So they get on to your point, Duncan, they get on TV and they and
5: if an intel person says, look, I find this credible. Right. Right. Period. and the on the bottom of the Chiron says former you know national security advisor or former head of the CIA which lends them a lot of credibility but they don't have to back up anything with specifics.
4: None and then they're asked like what makes you think is like, oh, methods and sources yeah. they do all I can't get into the details and all that and without shit.
5: getting into the specifics of what I've seen
4: right right and then and then but all of a sudden as a viewer what other choice do you have but to accept the premise because I mean frankly this person is has more information than you do or ever will except for the fact that they are selectively limiting or eliminating entirely the context by which they're making these decisions in the first place.
5: Right. Right. Well, and then also, I mean, go, go back to when Donald Trump was president. And you remember that at one point, like the Trump White House eliminated, um, eliminated the access to top secret information to, like, Brennan and some of these other Obama officials. And at the time, like, the media was outraged. It's like, it's a continuity thing. Like, these people need to have access to this information so that they can help. And it's like, actually, what they were doing was fucking lying the whole time. Bingo. Totally. Lying the whole fucking time. Totally. Like, when you step out of that building, clearance gone. That's my opinion.
4: Yeah, no, I think that's right. It's it's exactly what should happen. But, I mean, just so recall, MSNBC, CNN, CBS all told their viewers that Hunter Biden's laptop story was Russian disinformation. They didn't say it was likely disinformation. They didn't say be skeptical of the information. They didn't say we're we're unsure of ourselves. They said it was Russian disinformation.
6: And then Jen Psaki uh, went and told the influencer bunch that showed up at the White House that Russia hacked the election in 2016. I mean, these people are just, they are the ones who are pushing misinformation, but you're not hearing about any of these folks facing any consequences for their act. Neera
5: Tanden, back when, when the Hunter Biden story was happening, I, I got back and forth with her in her replies oh, on it. Yeah. And at one point, she called me a tool of Russian disinformation. <laughs> this woman is now a senior advisor to the president of the fucking United States. Yeah. This lunatic probably has a security clearance. That's the thing. is yeah. it, it, And, and the, she's not going to be held account to account for calling people Russian assets. In two and a half years after we run this old
4: ass out of the White House, she's going to
5: be back at it. Right. And back on TV. Yeah.
6: I mean, this has become just the catch-all term that they have.
4: Whenever you bring up inconvenient
6: facts right. for these people. They're Like, oh, that's Russian disinformation. Hell, they're trying to blame the Russians for the
4: inflation we've had for the past year. Right. It's like, oh, nope, that's Putin too. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. It's like they got one button. It's incredible. Anyway, I just find this this story of all of the things that you've heard and been concerned about from the beginnings and the origins of the Russian disinformation campaign that Hillary Clinton basically ran against a sitting president of the United States. All of the fallout that we found out through the investigations. This is what scares me more than anything, because you had this conglomerate, this absolute work in progress between tech between media, between the purveyors of information in this country to prevent Americans from knowing something in the small window, a two-week window, before ballots were cast. That is an unbelievably scary dynamic. And
6: also it it explains a lot of why you, you have a lot of these legacy media companies Trying to crack down on people being allowed to speak their mind on social media. Why they're like, there need to be more tools online to be able to boot conservatives. Oh yeah.
5: Well they all have disinformation reporters now. Yeah. They yeah? want to,
6: they want to become the monopoly of information right. yet again so that they can do this nonstop, so that no one can disagree with them. And, and, and they don't even have to. They you, can to o-
5: you can only click on our links because there it. are no other links. That's what they want. We're going to get rid of all the bad links. So you have to you have to click my link if you want to know the information. Just incredible. It, anyway, we're going to keep
4: on this and we're not going to we're not going to belabor it. You all know the the issue here. But this is more important than simply not trusting the media. Yep. This is about every platform in America working in concert with basically a partisan campaign. Against a, a preferred outcome in an election. And that, my friends, is as scary as it gets. Yep.
6: Yeah. That's why we have loss in institutions. That right there.
4: Yep. Yep. All right. So you guys remember when we talked about the, the Mike Tyson toad thing? Yeah. How could I forget? It was like a few months ago about his licking toads. And uh, there's apparently a psychedelic toad venom. That's like, a, a I don't know, evidently a pretty cool thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, there's a the demand for this psychedelic toad venom leads to fears of the species survival. Oh my god! So
6: so this is an amazing article. I encourage everyone to check it out. It's in Daily though, Beast. Right? Even though it's Daily Beast, yeah. uh, it says demand for Sonoran desert toads' psychedelic venom leads to fears for species survival, and also where they like straight go with this. Sampling the venom of a desert toad has led users, including Mike Tyson and Hunter Biden. To report feelings of so, eternal bliss. So, you, so you
4: know it's a good time.
6: Yeah, I mean it must be really hard shit. If Haunter's <laughs> like, you know what, I gotta hit next level. Like this, this pipe is not cutting it anymore. Uh, <laughs> but it says, but the explosion's popularity has led expert has experts alarmed that the species won't survive the demand, which is wild. Like, okay, I mean it, it'd have to be a hell of a drug to, for me to be like, time to pick up the frog and lick it, like.
4: Dude, I don't know. I'm telling you, I know a couple of guys who've done this. Are you serious? Yes. The Sonoran Desert Toad is believed to be the only amphib- amphibian that produces the health hallucinogenic M-E-O-D-M-T venom, which is increasingly being touted as an effective treatment for mental disorders and addictions.
5: Wow. It didn't no. help her Biden. No. But remember, wow. this is like the ego, type Ego death. Dude, uh, the I can't remember the quote that Tyson had, but like it was like poetry.
4: Yeah, it was like the dun- no ego with the toad. Yeah. Basically, it strips the ego. It strips the ego. The toad strips the ego, I think is what he said.
5: Which, I mean, Mike Tyson, the guy has his own demons. We know this. Yeah. He has a beast that lives inside him, and he gets in the ring, and the beast comes out. The, the idea that he could lick a toad and experience ego death is a remarkable thing.
6: What's incredible? So this is amazing. This line from the article it says, "The toad is listed as threatened in New Mexico, where it remains vulnerable to poachers and rustlers. It hasn't been found in the wild in California in decades, yeah. so it must be good <laughs> in California. They're like, the word got out.
4: You ran the toad they, out they, of they business. Toad, they
6: completely consumed the population. And there's
4: apparently a couple of different ways to do this. Toad venom proponents are divided between those who insist on milking Ugh. milking straight from the source. How are they doing with this damn uh, To those who smoke it." Um, They smoked the. uh, Evidently. Evidently. But this toad apparently is, I mean, this is where it's at because it's going extinct.
0: Now it's now on plane with the spotted owl.
4: (laughs) But they have a synthetic version
5: of the venom as well that scientists say, you know, is just as good.
4: Oh, what can go wrong? Yeah, right. Right. What can go wrong with a synthetic version of the toad?
5: Well, given the choice, I'd
6: rather go with, you know, the OG than the Pfizer version. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the oge right from the toad you're a milker as they say I, I, you know i believe in natural immunity so i'm gonna go straight i'll lick the toad instead of buying it from a, from a big farm company but ma- who knows maybe this is their whole plan of like hey guys the toad's endangered when really they're just loading up their factories and Can milking you just them.
4: Order? Can you just order the toad, do you think? Or do you think you actually have, have to go find the toad?
6: I mean, I you know, the, the thing is, is that I believe in the market. So so I think the California situation is 100% demand outstrips supply. So they just kill the damn things. And, and and so it must work and it can't be at a factory level. So, like, it must it must be a hell of a thing. If it, I mean, also just the whole mental thing. It's like uh, uh, when, when people bring up heroin, I was like, how – good could it be at the same time people are putting a needle in your damn arm so licking a toe to me is just absolutely disgusting but just, it must be some next level shit
5: I'm, I'm picturing that somewhere in rural california there is the walter white of sonoran frogs oh it's just got, yeah he's got basically <laughs> like got a, 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 a farm a, of these like things. a super factory yeah like the he's ones, an
6: rv
4: of just frogs
6: like just a frogs. swamp
5: <laughs> breeding, breeding frogs milking frogs breeding frogs milking frogs yeah I bet it's happening.
4: Armed, like th- armed to the hilt. To the hilt. He's just keeping those toads safe until you lick them.
5: Yeah,
6: I mean it's it's just it boggles the mind. But, but also, I don't like those disgusting animals.
4: But I feel like there's a skip in the step. Not to belabor this, but. Like we're talking about licking a toad, yeah. right? But then they're also talking about them going extinct. If you lick the toad, does it kill the toad?
6: That's the thing is, I think the smoking is what's weird. Like, we are, can't are they smoking smoke, the skin of the, the damn toad? thing? Because I, I mean, that's that's a, that's a bridge too far, in my
5: opinion. Well, I'd, I assume that it, they probably um, they milk the toad and then dry <laughs> dry out the venom <laughs> into some sort of powder. Yeah, maybe they mix it in with some tobacco products uh-huh. or something they else. Like a, maybe a, smoke pipe? it like that. <laughs>
6: He's a tobacco pipe.
5: I don't know <laughs> banana boat. But if you know the Walter White of Sonoran Toad milking I'd love DM to have us. him on
4: the program. We got to talk to this guy. Uh, in other news, a study finds uh, that there are uh, there are all kinds of statistics that are being done on dinos, and An- I, another
6: favorite topic of mine.
4: And I know, and I know Smug, you've been paying close attention to this, but dinos apparently that what they're trying to do is calculate how fast these damn things run, and and a new study has talked about Usain Bolt, who set the world record for the 100-meter sprint back in 2009 as the fastest man in the world, whether or not he would be able to outrun the dyno. Um, and they're a little conflicted on this, but it appears as though Bolt may have an edge on the dyno. And I guess my question is, do you think Smug, someone who's able to take down a horse without any qualms, would be able to outrun the world's dino population if we were to reconstitute them
6: so so number one i reject the premise of like this article does a good job it it really explains you know the comparisons it brings up um the the dilophosaurus if folks have seen the jurassic park film that's the one that has the venom that it spits right i think they were comparing that in terms of sprint speed and it's like why, you know why am i running from this thing because it's spits I would not. venom But that's you. the thing is that now we have the information. So, you know, you wear goggles and you just take it out. Dude. Like nature gave it one gimmick. Nature gave it one gimmick. Why am I running? The goggles yeah. are all you need. Yeah, that's all. That's all. Like n- do your worst now. What, it's like the size of a dog. You just kick it. Game over. Why am I running? It should be running. I got
5: goggles. Run. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't think you're going to outrun a velociraptor.
6: Yeah. See, that's the thing is, I, I mean, I accept death. If you see a pack of raptors. If you're already in that situation, the only way I want to interact with dinosaurs is from a helicopter shooting them,
4: you know? Well, I'm making wings. You want to make the T-Rex the t- 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, with
6: oh. the vestigial arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to deal with a situation where it's – I mean, who's trying to race it? Who's trying to race it? Maybe the herbivores. You know, honestly, I would. I, on second thought, I would see a sport like that, which pits, like, man versus dinosaur and, like, various feats of strength and such like that. But it has to be, like, an I'm never going to be in a situation, and that's why I think, you know, people who are like, why would you clone dinosaurs? Didn't you see Jurassic Park? Well, they, the moral of the story is you have to, like, take it seriously, you know? You can't, like, have an electrical system that can be turned off by one dude. Like, you got to think this shit through, right? I mean, zoos don't have that problem. We keep a lot of dangerous shit in zoos. Why can't we keep dinosaurs?
5: So our our producer what? actually put a... <laughs> our, <laughs> what a thoughtful take. Our, our producer put a question in here uh for us and that is uh is there an olympic event that you think you could beat a dinosaur in yeah it depends on the dino right because it's, it's like a t-rex like shot put i feel pretty good <laughs> yeah, about that. No, I think it's go. a weak arm yeah right ja- javelin i feel pretty good about that
6: <laughs> that's what i'm saying so like the whole premise man of like okay can can you outrun it i, I reject the premise you know there's there's some dinosaurs i run from some that i don't but I would love to see a matchup. Like, you know, the, when they put it in a comparison between Usain Bolt, I'd want to see if he could outrun the raptor. You know, that's a comparison they should have done, not the damn Venom one.
0: It reminds <laughs> me of the special on Discovery Channel where Michael Phelps was matched against a great white Yeah, which is
4: bullshit. They didn't actually have a shark in the no,
0: water. It was it was garbage.
6: It was, they
4: didn't actually have one in? No. no they, they had, no, like, the, the average tissue. speed of a great white, and then they did, like, a—, a animated version of it. That swimming next is time.
0: bullshit dude so i think it's time to lay down the gauntlet that as soon as science figures out how to replicate a velociraptor comfortably smug we'll race it
6: <laughs> you know here's what here's what they should do first of all think is, of the
0: promotions
6: is you you get 200 meter tanks right and and like you know at dog races how they have that like fake bunny yes on the rail yeah, yeah. you just get like a piece of meat in the water and then you run that thing in front of the shark, and you got Phelps in the tank right next to it, and you see who wins, dude. Like, straight up. You'd get a lot of money on pay-per-view. I'd pay to see that.
0: We could do something similar with Smug versus
4: a Raptor. I'd like to see
0: what, what the, the I'm, rabbit I'm is for runner. Smug. You like, could do it. I, I believe in you. I
6: believe I mean, I, in you. I mean, if it's a fight or flight. Well, so there was... There, <laughs> there, <laughs>
5: there's, a, there's a baseball team. I can't remember which baseball team. I mean, you've probably seen these videos. They're hilarious. They're on online. Um, of, like, you know, I think it's a seventh inning stretch bit or Wait, something. Where they got those du- the T Rex? No, they got this guy who's like the. Oh, flash, yeah, the dude, the Flash, who the runs flash, down right, people from right. behind. Yeah. so like somebody from the crowd gets a head start, yeah. you know, of like. Let half them go the all distance. the way to, see- to yeah. center field. To center field, <laughs> yeah. And then the Flash starts running. Yes. And the Flash usually catches them. Amazing. Maybe it could be a situation like that where you get like a 300 meter head start on the Velociraptor. <laughs> But if he catches you, you're but, dead.
6: I mean, to me, that just... I don't believe it. That gets, I, I, I don't
5: believe to it. To me, that
6: I, kills the whole essence of it, I right? don't like, believe it. Like, <laughs> not w- fair. Like, what's, not no, fair
0: no. to the velociraptor. It's not. It's not. I think that the velociraptor catches up to Smug, that's the and thing. he throttles it. That, that's <laughs> a, well, the, the,
6: the thing is is that the raptor is known as a killing machine, not like a, a running machine, right? So that's why the idea of like shooting them from helicopters works, right? <laughs> because it's, it's, someone's going to die here. It's going to be me, or it's going to be you, raptor. And too bad we got the guns, you know. And like y'all should have thought about that. That's why you're extinct. If anybody <laughs> I mean, wants
4: to take us helicopter I shooting, I feel like that's going to be. I mean, something I really want to do that this yeah. summer.
6: That's like number one on the list. Yeah. Have
0: you guys heard of hella hogging? That's yeah. what I'm saying. We yeah. got to
6: get down there and get those hogs. Yeah, we're going like, to help the people. I'd,
0: but, I'd like to see Smug do that. Here's the thing. I think that if a Velociraptor is right on his heels, he tosses a toad right back into its mouth. It hallucinates. <laughs> it hallucinates and falls over, and Smug Smug just. There it is. No
6: you know, rules. You know, you know, what there'd be money in. Is is it's like a most dangerous game y'all ever? Oh yeah. A short story of how like the only thrill
5: this guy could get was yeah. to like hunt humans. The famous book of the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. Was that yeah. Zodiac? Yeah.
6: Shout out to Ted Cruz. I had no idea.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guarantee there's
6: an audience that's just like I, I have so much money and I'm so bored with everything life has to offer that they would be like, if we can clone the dinosaur, I would like, you know, meet it in the jungle and one of us and walks go for out.
4: it. Yeah. Well, I like it. That's an idea. We could set it up. We could set it up. Um, all right, let's talk about something, uh, I guess, semi-serious here for a minute, because Smug, I know you've been uh, following this closely. The Supreme Court nomination battle has begun with hearings yesterday uh, for Kentaji Brown-Jackson, who has been nominated by President Biden and is now in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Your thoughts?
6: Uh, it's, a, it's a big deal, and I think it's very interesting and— this isn't just, you know, I have a particular interest when it comes to the Supreme Court because I think it's insanely important. And thank God we had President Trump who got us three justices because, number one, they're, the Libs are trying to expand the court. Um, they know that they cannot win at the ballot. Like a lot of these crazy ideas the, – the reason that Libs, you know, are spending all this money to get district attorneys is because – they can't win elections on defund the police and shit like that. So they want to win it, number one, with district attorneys, and number two, with judges. Um, and I want to give a, a special shout-out to uh, Senator Hawley, who went through uh, all of uh, Judge Brown's uh, – Judge Brown Jackson's uh, uh, sentencing history. And he found that for a number, a number of uh, child sex predator cases – she went under like uh, uh, the the federal guidance would say, like, for example, you know, this person should be put away for 96 months. The prosecutor would ask for 72 and should say like three months. So there's a lot going on there. Mm. And the media, you know, you see a lot of the fact checks going around uh, on this is they'll put out the headline. Like the Washington Post put out this headline where they said that, like, Senator uh, Josh Hawley is wrong when he says this. And they're saying because it lacks context. Yeah, I've seen that. They're like the, the and and uh, you, I saw a lot of the you know standard activists that the left puts out whenever there's a there's a fight on the Supreme Court. Uh, they were saying this wasn't about her being uh, soft on crime. This was about her being hard on injustice. Yeah,
4: there is no Are injustice you telling me
6: there's some injustice when it comes to sentencing a pedophile? Because to me, I think
4: life should be the standard. Yeah, what's the injustice like, on that?
6: Throw away the key, not getting out. Um, I, that's that's one important thing to follow, and and you know again, I gotta really applaud Holly for the way he conducted himself and just like hit the lines with evidence. There was no sensationalism, and and this was brought up uh, by Senator Grassley at the start of the hearing, where he said, "Isn't it a remarkable difference when you have uh, a Supreme Court hearing and?" It's not like when a conservative judge is being put up, and you've got people in the audience shouting. You've got protesters uh, going insane. You
4: know, uh, uh, yeah, right. With the Kavanaugh hearings, it, was, and all it that. was a
6: circus, and then the smears which came out. They have Michael Avenatti come out and say that Kavanaugh is running a gang rape circle right, while he's right, a kid right.
5: in school. Yeah, Holly's, Holly's accusation lacks context, but you can or context, but you can accuse Brett Kavanaugh of serial gang rape in the that's United States Senate. So that, that's where I'm at, right? I mean, so this whole thing, everybody's,
4: ah, like, oh, it's a fait accompli. This person's going to be confirmed. They only replace a liberal. Yeah, 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 Okay. I can understand that argument at some level before Brett Kavanaugh was nominated. That's it. To me, after Brett Kavanaugh's experience, Democrats don't have rules.
6: And And, and I got to tell you, on a personal level, my interest in the Supreme Court, it like radicalized me. That Kavanaugh hearing, yeah. ra- when I saw his wife crying, this should be like one of the proudest moments for that guy who's worked so hard. Well, I for, mean, it's not easy to have that kind of a and record for those
4: of, for those of us who know him. Knew that this was all bullshit. Like I mean, knew knew that what this they is,
6: did to that family. It, I mean, like just thinking about it just enrages.
4: It me. enrages me. And so, like, look, I have zero sympathy for anybody who s- says, you know, oh, we need to, we need to handle this in a very dignified fashion. Yeah, we need to make nope. sure that, like, look, I understand that that is what we should do for these nominations. We absolutely should handle them in a professional manner where you ask questions like Holly did today mm-hmm. and demand answers, which is what Republicans are going to do. But I have zero sympathy for anyone who suggests that any of these questions are out of bounds or any of these questions going forward should not be aggressive because, frankly, they ruined a man's life. They just did it. And I'm not saying that you ought to treat every Democrat as dis- disrespectfully as you did Kavanaugh. All I'm saying is if there's a question to be answered, you better damn well answer it because I have zero, zero sympathy. Right. After what they did to Kavanaugh. And
5: all, and all these Democrats are going to hide behind the admittedly you know, historic nature of this nomination. First black woman yep. potentially to be on the United States Supreme Court. But they're going to use that as a shield. To avoid any criticism, as if that means her record is beyond reproach. Because of that fact, what they don't tell you is that Joe Biden and a lot of these other folks blocked a, ju- a judge, bringing uh, Janice right. Rogers Brown. That's right. Who who was nominated? DC they filip- filibustered her for the D.C. Circuit, which they is did the, the launch- Jim Crow. They did the Jim Crow to her. That's the launch pad for for you know future justices on the United States Supreme Court. It's obviously a very important circuit court. They had no problem filibustering her. None, none, but it, it, it wasn't racism and Jim Crow to filibuster her. But now any attack on this nominee will be considered racism. Weird how that works. Yeah, and, and they were very selective
4: in their in their filibustering. Yeah, right. Janice Rogers Brown was was bedeviled Democrats. Right, she was an African American with a conservative judicial philosophy, which they just abhor. They hate that. They just. Hate that. I mean, look at Justice Thomas. Look
6: what they did to Clarence Thomas.
4: Look at Justice Thomas. Look at look at the reaction of the left. By the way, with the news that he was hospitalized over the weekend,
6: they were celebrating.
4: They were celebrating, and too right? bad for
6: them, he's he's feeling better.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's going to be a problem for them for a long That's time right. coming. That's no right. question about that. Remember what they did to Miguel Estrada. That's the other one that I was just going to bring up. Right? He the, started all of this. He started all of this because they were absolutely convinced that Miguel Estrada was going to be the first Hispanic appointed. To the Supreme Court. He Couldn't gonna, do that because he's a Republican. And he was a Republican. So you can't <laughs> have it. Can't have it. And they basically said as much. Right. You can't be a
5: minority and be a Republican or we will destroy your life. That's exactly right. That's what they said. That's the subtext here.
4: So my point is we're going to have this conversation, right? And we should not be afraid of this conversation nope. because honestly, the most racist shit that I've seen ever in the United States Senate over the 20 years that I've been involved in it has been in this process, Yeah, has been what they have done to conservative nominees like Janice Rogers Brown and like Miguel Estrada. And
6: still and that still happens. It was just what like a, a week or two ago that the Washington Post put out that disgusting thing about Justice Thomas where they're like he only agrees with the uh, the white uh Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. If he gets his it's opinions disgusting. from it, it, like It's literally ca-
5: basically calling him an uncle tom. Straight, it and it that's is, what is, they it, do it, now. It, it is it is racism.
4: It's unreal. Yeah, at its core, that's what it is, and it ought to be called out for it. I'm glad that we have people like Hawley and Cruz and Cotton who are prosecuting. Those this are the case. three who,
6: man, it, you know, thank God we have them there. I mean, because they were all stars. It was it was a real preview of how they are going to hold this nominee to account, and, and base it on what should what should be most important what the whole reason for a supreme court justice is will you uphold the constitution right because that's it what's your record that's what's your it. judicial philosophy and 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 i think they're they're honed in they didn't like uh i, I was i was a little bit disappointed in tell us who, who just tried to sound like he's a nice guy he's like you know hey congrats you know this is really great it's like dude your job is advising consent it's not to say congratulations mm. you know mm. there's a lot of nominees congratulations to all of them bro do your job Hold this person account. Are they going to defend the Constitution? That's all it is.
4: Yeah, this is just not a fait accompli, right? This is the the most important court in the land. It holds right now, currently, in this absolutely dysfunctional democratic government, an incredibly important place at safeguarding the liberties of everyone in this country.
6: Because it's no secret, the left wants activist judges. They do. That's their prime objective. That's why, I mean... Uh uh Demand Justice, the left wing dark money group that that failed son, what's his name? Uh uh Brian Fallon. Brian Fallon runs. Um that, son th- Fallon. that they were they had trucks driving around DC saying, Retire, Briar, like get out of here. They're kicking this guy out, and then their like approved candidate shows up to replace him. It's yeah. really
4: funny how that works. Yeah, no, I mean this administration's been awful in every way. Listen, let's get to an interview, guys, because this is a really, really important interview. For a whole bunch of reasons, today, Monica De La Cruz and Myra Flores from South Texas. I want to welcome to the program two women who, in my view, anyway, have become sort of emblematic of much of the change that's happening in American politics, and and they're quite literally leading a conservative Latina revolution in South Texas. Monica De La Cruz, Myra Flores, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much for yeah. having us.
2: Absolutely.
4: So you first got onto my radar. You've been you've been working your your heads off down in South Texas for a long time now. Um, much of which is outlined in a Texas monthly piece that first came across grouping you you together. It was entitled Latinas Are Pushing a Political Revolution in South Texas to the right. And uh and that of course got my attention uh because it's it's an incredibly important story that is. In my view, undercovered by the national media, but this sort of elevated it and we wanted to talk to you. Monica, let's start with you. Um, what an incredible experience. How did you get involved? How did this how did this happen? How did you get to be sort of the part of the face of change in South Texas?
2: Well, look, first I'll say that it has taken hundreds of passionate patriots to get us to where we're at right now. And I feel humbled to lead. Look, I think that in uh, 2016, it began with President Trump and him, uh, whether you liked him or not, he made you listen. He made you pay attention to what he was saying. And what we saw down here in 2019 specifically was uh, hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants coming through our border. And you know what? Very sadly, um, what the left does is they talk about illegal immigration and Republicans saying we don't want illegal immigration, but what we're experiencing here in South Texas is firsthand how these immigrants are taken advantage of by the cartels and how they are human trafficked, how they are taken um, advantage of, as I said before, And not only do we hear it from these immigrants who are being exploited, but we're hearing it from our Border Patrol agents. You see, what many people don't know is that Our border patrol agency here in South Texas is the largest in the United States. So border patrol agents are our friends. They're our family. They're our neighbors. And so we have a very clear understanding of, number one, protecting our borders, but also protecting these immigrants from being exploited by the cartels. And that's not what's being talked about. And so here we are in um, 2020, working very hard to have our voice heard. And as you know, from our election in 2020, we came 2.8% away from beating the incumbent at third term incumbent. And this sent a loud message to Washington, D.C. and to the nation that we want change down here because. Our race made us the most competitive race in the state of Texas and the third most competitive in the nation.
4: It's just incredible. incredible. It really is. The transformation is amazing. And for those who who missed the Texas primary election earlier this month, unmistakable change from the Hispanic community, huge amounts of energy. The numbers are shifting incredibly quickly. Myra, tell us about about your journey here? Because I know, I I think it's the case that you immigrated to the United States when you were six and and have had sort of a full panoply. I think you work in the healthcare industry as well. You've seen this. How did you decide to get involved in, in politics?
3: Well, what I realized was that the Hispanic community was voting against the values, the values that we were raised in. You know, I was born in Mexico and were raised with strong conservative values to always put God, family, um, and to defend also the unborn. That is just something that is instilled in us and hard work. So I just realized that we were voting against everything we were we were taught, we, you know, just from, from day one. So that's the reason one of the main reasons why I I got involved at a four years ago, because I wanted the Hispanic community to understand what they were voting for. South Texas is conservative. South Texas values align with the Republican party, but they don't know. And I just felt that it was so important for someone that. Look like them that resonated with them that shared a similar story to go out there and educate the Hispanic community. Um, and I'm just so blessed to to be in this in this country. This is the best country in the world and has given me just so much. I mean, like you said, I immigrated to this country when I was six years old, and I both my parents were migrant workers. I worked in the cotton field myself since the age of thirteen. And graduated college, became a respiratory care practitioner. I'm a proud Border Patrol wife. I'm a mother. And that is the American dream. And I want that American dream, not only for my children, but for our children here in in South Texas. And they're the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. They're my inspiration.
4: Well, you both are incredibly inspirational because we all know there's a, a huge difference between sort of working behind the scenes and then putting your name on the ballot. And ultimately running for Congress, uh, Monica, uh, tell us about that part of of what you're doing. What is the, What are the voters saying to you?
2: Well, look, um, voters are very stressed out right now because they're uh, seeing the pain in the pump. You know, gas prices are going up like never before. Just to fill up a, a small tank of gas can cost you a hundred bucks. And who is that affecting? It's affecting our lower and middle income families here. We're hearing from our voters that, They're afraid of the national security that is happening or the lack of national security that's happening right here on our borders, especially with what's going on in Ukraine. They feel vulnerable. They feel like there is not any law and order. And that's why people like Myra and my family immigrated to this country for the American dream. And because there is law and order and they wanted their country to protect them. And so people are feeling very stressed out about what is happening in our economy, what's happening um, in our homes right now, and just being able to put food on the table
4: what what is it about? I mean, so traditionally in your area there has been a heavy Democratic turnout in the Hispanic community, but as you said, culturally it's a very conservative place, right? And and there's something about the disconnect over the years between voting patterns and then ultimately the values of the people who live there. Talk to me a little bit about sort of the awakening that you think people have had in your community about knowing, you know, it's not actually what the New York times says we are. We've got uh, a bunch of different thoughts. We want the uh, same life. Anybody else wants security, uh, prosperity, economic security, everything else. How do you go about translating that into to telling people the story for the first time that maybe the Republican party is the home for them?
3: Look, like I like and like I said earlier, the values are already there. I would say they're Republican. They just don't know it. Yeah. I was raised thinking that the Republican Party was a party of the rich. That's what I was told growing up. That the Republican Party did not want people like us in this country. Um, that the Republican Party was only for white people. That was the I, that was my idea growing up.
6: <laughs>
3: and in. I remember telling my father, you know, back in 2008, who should I vote for? And my father saying, Barack Obama. I did not even question it. You know, we voted Democrat because that's what we were told to do so. But the moment I had another family member coming up to me and saying, Myra, do you know exactly what you're voting for? Do you know what the Republican Party stands for? Do you know what the Democrat Party stands for? And I said, no. As soon as she gave me that information, I realized I was Republican and walked away in 2010 and voted Republican ever since. So what I started doing is educating my my family and what i saw is that as soon as i told them what the republican party stood for they decided to also vote republican <laughs> and by the time i knew over majority of my family was voting republican and i said what if i go out there to the community and do the same and what i saw was the same reaction i saw in my family wow i think i'm republican creo que soy republicana si es republicana and, you know, those are the things that I, I saw, and it was just mind blowing. It's all about education. The Republican Party also needs to go out there, you know, also educate the, the Hispanic community that is already Republican. We need to be on Univision. We need to be on Telemundo. We need to be on all Spanish radio stations. How? our values align with the Republican Party and that we should not put our values aside for no political party because no political party is worth doing that. And we need to vote our values. That's what's most important. Of course, you know, education, border security, economic opportunities, that is very important, especially today. But our values is it's number one, putting God and family first is that's that's top priority.
4: No, it's really it, it's really incredible because, you know, the Democratic Party in many places throughout this country maintains advantage based on sort of decades old stereotypes that sort of persist through the years. And and frankly, Republicans haven't done a good enough job of going into communities like yours and telling their story. But in order to do that, as both of you have, have said you need people who look like you, who talk like you, who have the experiences that you do. That resonate with people so you're not i mean this is this is nobody can tell you you haven't lived that life right Monica?
2: that's exactly right look we don't like to play identity politics because that's we really right. feel that the american dream is there for everybody but at the end of the day that's what the democrats are doing is they're playing identity politics and they have um owned, quote unquote, the Hispanic vote, as Myra said, is that we just thought we have to vote Democrat because that's what we've been told over generations. And so it is so important that someone uh, like myself, like Myra, like uh, Cassie in a a different district get elected because then you have people who look like, who have backgrounds um, like the Hispanics in Texas and say, wow. She's a Republican and she has the same beliefs as I do. When elected, Myra and myself are going to shake up the Democrat Party. And that's why it is so important that we have people support us, follow us and and share our information. Because when elected, you know, we're going to be the first Hispanics to ever represent the great state of Texas. And what a powerful statement that is going to make not only in the state of Texas, but in the nation. And I think that the Republican Party has woken up as well and invested monies into this district and the Rio Grande Valley. In fact, the RNC has now put an office in McAllen, Texas, to help congressional candidates, such as Myra, such as myself, Help us get past the general election. They have over 20,000 volunteers here in the state of Texas that are already working towards the general election goals. So everybody is on board now from a national level, a state level, and a local level. And it's just exciting to see what's about to happen in November.
4: Well, it is really exciting, and I think it's the case that there are as many as six Latina women who are, are nominees at this point in Texas for congressional seats, which is which is incredible. And I got to ask you, Myra, how much of that is not only exciting but sort of gives you motivation that you're not alone here, that you've got a whole group of people like Monica and and many others who are are all pushing for the same thing. Well, to be
3: honest with you, it it wasn't until (laughs) for me that I'm, I'm here in South Texas. It wasn't until Monica ran in 2020 when uh, she ran in 2020 and won the nominate and um, won the nomination and then came so close. That was really what inspired me. Like, you know, I could do this myself. Like I could do this. You know, she, like, like she said, everyone's eyes were on South Texas after the election. Unfortunately we did not get, you know, president Trump reelected, but I was so proud of the work that we had done in South Texas. I was so proud of the work that she had done in South Texas. And that inspired me as well to, to run for office because I felt like if she was able to do this, I can do it as well. And now that I see all these amazing women, you know, running for, for office, it's just, it's just amazing. And we do need, you know, more Latinas, um, more Hispanics to to run for office. You know, like Monica said, we're going to be the first ones. That's, that's just, that's just amazing. And that's going to inspire more people, more Hispanics to also um, vote Republican. You know, I'm the only one also as well that was born in Mexico when elected the first Mexican American that was in in history for the Republican Party. Um, That that to me is insane. And that is why it's so important that, you know, people support us to send the message because this is beyond Mida Flores. This is beyond Monica. This is about getting more Hispanics to vote Republican because if we don't, we're gonna lose this, this amazing state. And if we lose Texas, we lose our country. So it's very important that we get more Hispanics to vote Republican. And, you know, like I said, we are already Republican. We just don't know it. We just need to get uh, the message out there. And we're the Democrats' worst nightmare I mean it, I've, I, I'm <laughs> receiving I'm receiving messages that like, hey, um, they want to send me back to Mexico at this point. <laughs> yeah. At this point, they want to send me back to Mexico, you know? And You're the wrong kind I'm of immigrant.
4: You vote the wrong way.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I vote the wrong way. And I'm getting messages like that. You know, I, there's an organization called Cambio uh, for Texas that was just hired by Beto. And they said on, they made a statement on twitter which was deleted saying hey we've been doing a lot more work that you've been you've been an american citizen that they've been doing so much work since so long and so now you're bringing up my immigration status now they're wanting to know hey how did you get here myra you know how did your parents get here you know they're wanting to know it's just ridiculous and it's it's a hypocrisy but it's because i'm not pro god you know because they're i'm not pushing that." far left agenda that they're pushing. Yeah.
4: You no, know, I'm, I'm, I'm
3: pushing for our values.
4: That's exactly right. And, and nobody should underestimate how difficult this is. I mean, despite the fact, and, and what you just said is testimony to what we talked about, about success, begetting success in this community with with Monica's run in 2020. And now all of you sort mm-hmm. of banding together and really creating a movement that's resonating nationwide. So So we got to get you over the finish line. Right. We've got it. We've got it. It's not enough to create the movement. We actually need to win. Uh, Monica, let's let's start with you. How's the race going?
2: look we are in a great position right now why because we're coming off of the excitement of the 2020 election uh people and volunteers within district 15 are even more excited about the 2022 election because i have the name recognition that i did not have in the 2020 election in addition, the RNC has played a pivotal role in the success of where our campaign is right now. I mean, they have over 20,000 um, uh, volunteers nationwide putting an office here just to support us. They've made over 800 voter, co- 800,000 voter contacts in this area and in the state of Texas. So now I believe that we have the resources, people outside the district believe that we can win now, they're feeling that excitement and that movement that we've been talking about and they're willing to invest their hard earned dollars to keep Texas red and to save their nation. And so I can tell you as far as excitement financial donations, support on a national, state, and local level, we are in the best position to win. And I have no doubt that we're going to cross that line in November.
4: Yeah, it certainly seems like it. Myra, how's how's your campaign going?
2: Honestly, I'm I'm very happy with
3: everything um, that we're doing here in, in District 34. I have an amazing grassroots team. I just can't thank them enough. They're just very hardworking and dedication because they understand that this race isn't about me, it's about them. This is their community. Um, but of course, yes, fine, uh, we need the funds to get the message across their entire district. And I wanna be able to you know, play commercials in um, Spanish and English, very important to educate the Hispanic community how Maida Flores is fighting for their values and for better opportunities for Texas District 34. But the funding is very important. And but I'm very proud of all the work that we're doing. The RNC has played a huge role here in South Texas and also supporting our campaign. And I can't thank him enough for for believing in us, for for believing in the Hispanic community, because I tell people, regardless of the lines, regardless of how they're drawn, at the end of the day, the Hispanic community is already conservative. So we need to get the message out there. And no, we need to tell them that we yeah, that we are for them, that the Republican Party does want people, does support immigrants, you know, does support Hispanics and we stand by you. And those are the things that uh, that are very important that we need to invest here in, in South Texas, and that is why the funding is so is so important. And like I mentioned earlier, it's beyond, you know. Mayra Flores is about getting more Hispanics to uh, vote Republican. And look, I feel that the Democrat Party wants us to stay poor, wants us to stay uneducated, so they can continue controlling us. So they can continue telling us how to vote. They don't want us to prosper. They don't want our children to prosper. They're out there telling people that we want to take away their you know government assistance we're not here to take away no one's government assistance we're here to give people opportunities because we believe in the potential of the hispanic community we are we are we have all the ingredients we need in south texas well, we're all about god and family but most importantly all about hard work we okay. know how to work We're not afraid of hard work.
4: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, listen, I know you guys are focused on what's happening in South Texas and your own respective races, but what you're doing will have resonance across this country. There are many states with Hispanic populations that are just begging to find a place in the Republican Party. And you see it scaring the heck out of Democrats. So we got to get you guys over the finish line first. But then I, I expect and I, I know that you all will help lead this conversation nationwide in states like Nevada and Arizona and even Southern California uh, across this country to, to, to find a home, the rightful home for many Hispanic voters in the Republican Party. So thank you for what you're doing.
2: Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here today and tell you a little bit about our district and the excitement that's going on.
4: So I've got three big questions that all of our listeners Thanks. want want answers to here. though. This, this is where we get a, a good picture of who you guys are. All right. So the first question, I'll start with you, Monica. If you could plan your last meal on earth, what would it be?
2: Oh, that's easy. For me, it would be entomatadas that's my favorite. So right. yes, cheese and
4: tomatadas. I love it. No hesitation whatsoever. Myra, yeah. how you?
3: Uh you? Tacos. All day. Tacos. All day, every day. Tacos any, for sure.
4: Any particular spot? Is there, is there a spot in your district or is it a homemade situation? I
3: mean, I just love Tacerias. Um, yeah, I, I love I love tacos from all over South Texas. I'm just obsessed with tacos. So I, I can have tacos every day for breakfast. <laughs>
6: yeah, it's a hard so thing that's ta- <laughs>
3: <laughs> Yeah. Tacos for life. Yeah.
4: I love it. I love it. All right. So here's the second question. If you all never got involved in this, if you never got involved in politics or your communities, and I know that's hard to imagine when you're sort of at the front end of this and and the, the ceiling appears so high on where you guys can go. But if you never did any of this and you had a bunch of time left in your life, what do you think you'd want to do? This is a blue sky question. It's whatever, whatever you think, Monica.
2: Um, I always said in my next life, I would be a florist. I okay. love flowers. Great. I love flowers and making arrangements. So I do that in my spare time. Not that I have much, but <laughs> right. Adding be
4: beauty to the world. That's never a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Myra?
3: Honestly, I would continue doing what I, what I do. I'm a respiratory care practitioner and I I love what I do. Um, I'm really passionate about my job and I would continue doing what I'm doing and taking care of my elderly patients for sure.
4: Yeah, Let me ask you about that because I'm sure being a respiratory in that entire field, the last two years has been incredibly tricky for you. How much of the COVID-19 epidemic has given you additional motivation to do what you're doing?
3: Oh, I mean, honestly, after COVID, everybody's like, who's the respiratory care practitioner? Like, we need them, you know? Okay. Um, we definitely got a lot more support from our jobs and uh, we just felt a lot more appreciated um after all this. Um it, it's unfortunate all you know, this had to happen, but I love, you know, what I do because I get the best part of it. I get to take care of patients that have recovered from COVID. So I just make sure that they have all their respiratory care equipment at home and that they can fully recover at home with their families and loved ones. So I, I do the best part. Yeah. And just, very
4: inspirational just, work.
3: Yes, yeah, It's truly, truly blessed to, to have the job that, that I have. And, and, you know, this economy has really hurt my elderly patients, because they're constantly telling me, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford, you know, the therapy um, with the cost of living uh, today. So we're always helping our patients to be able, so they can, you know, be able to afford their therapy, regardless of their, um, their income. So that's, uh, that's something that I'm, truly blessed that I do every single day.
4: It certainly wouldn't hurt to have a few more healthcare professionals in Congress after what we've seen the last couple of years. So uh, that absolutely. So here's the third question. Um, And this is a little bit esoteric. It's a little bit what goes to motivate you, right? So the way we frame it is you're either motivated by the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And it's not like anybody enjoys defeat. So that's not what this is. The question is that people who are motivated by the thrill of victory are kind of optimists. You know, you're glass half full, always charging up the hill, trying to accomplish something. The agony of defeat people are somebody who's every setback in life, they wear like a backpack, right? It's it's not enough. They're all of their victories. They take about a second to appreciate and the, and the any defeat or setback they've had, they wear and they vow never to repeat it or, or to change, right? So they're both kind of aimed towards the same direction, but it's the motive that sort of pushes you along. And you can think of like a Michael Jordan type figure with the second agony of defeat type deal. So, Monica, let's start with you. Where do you find yourself on the spectrum?
2: Well, I say that um, you can see from my campaign, it's probably the agony of defeat, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, Keeps me motivated and going and learning.
4: Yeah. Yep. No, I I could, I could probably give your answer for you before I even asked on that one. I could I can see it. I can see it. How about you, Myra?
3: Victory. Uh, That's what motivates me. So yeah, it's yeah. Wanting to win and uh, wanting to prove the, you know, the non-believers and the haters that we're, (laughs) you know, that uh, we're going to win in November. So for me, it's victory what drives me for sure.
4: Absolutely. All right. So now we have to ask where our listeners can help you out. Uh, Monica, I'm sure you've got a website.
2: Yes. So your listeners can see me at monicaforcongress.us. So it's very important, monicaforcongress.us or on social media, Monica for Congress.
4: Okay. All right. And Myra, where can we find you?
3: Social media as well, Maida Flores for Congress, and my website is www.maidafloristforcongress.com.
4: Excellent. Well, listen, you two are doing the Lord's work. We can't thank you enough for having the courage and ambition to put your names on a ballot and try being the voice of your communities in a very changing community and an important time for this country. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Keep us updated.
2: Thanks.
3: Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. God bless you. Bye bye.
4: Take care. Bye-bye. So you got to love these two. Here's what I love the most about them. They're changing their communities in a very real way by putting themselves forward and subjecting themselves to all the critiques that the left provides anyone who dares question orthodoxy of minority majority districts. Right. Right. Anyone who dares suggest that the principles and values of the Republican Party may well represent where they are, who they are, where they're from better than Democratic uh, candidates do.
0: You know, one of the other things that struck me is I don't get the sense that either of them are um, not showing up to their offices on a daily basis. <laughs> no, they will. They're they there every single day.
4: They will show up. They will show up. And they are showing up. And they make a big difference. And if you don't think this makes a big difference because you're not from Texas, look around in the communities where you live. Every single state has got a Hispanic population that is going through this same process right now, that is trying to figure out for the life of them how it is that Democrats got a codlock on their vote because there's not a value that, that is the same. They, to, to, for, forever, people told us that if only we had amnesty across this country and open borders, that Hispanics would be a codlock for Democrats. They just said that, right? And people, that was the narrative that everybody just sort of assumed. Well, I mean, look, Myra's husband's a border agent. agent right,
5: right. Right. Patrol, yeah. They live this. Right. They live this stuff. And it is the exact opposite of it's, what Dude, it's said. exactly what Wesley Hunt told us last week. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's like, turns out that minority communities, immigrant communities, like these strong families want their streets to be safe. Yeah. They want to be able to earn a living in this country. And they want their kids taught been a tough time to get those things under democrat rule right now and then and
6: then to add to the list in in this instance specifically they don't want to be called latinx
5: yeah look look at the polling like no
6: they realize there's there's one side that's normal and one side that's losing their mind
5: but if you are the researcher at media matters that listens to this podcast out of hate and spite continue doing yeah please do it please continue
4: (laughs) please continue well i think we've done it gentlemen
5: yeah i mean absolute
6: banger of a show uh and thank you to foldy Another, another nice little bit of journalism from that young man. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.